Let us pray. We bow before you, the Lord, the God of heaven and earth. We bow before the Mighty One, the Holy One, the Only One. We, we walk around on this earth and we think we are great because we have designed and built so many amazing things. But when, but when the earth starts to shake, our things fall apart. When drought arrives, what lives die. When fire and flame comes, it's destroyed. What we made, what we made is gone. You are God. You created the heaven and the earth, this planet that we call home, the moon that orbits our planet that helps us with tides and rain and all kinds of stuff that needs to happen. Designed perfectly that we may see your fingerprints in what surrounds us. To you we come today and we acknowledge that we many times do not give you enough time, enough thought. We do not acknowledge your presence or even your person because we think about ourselves and how great we are. I ask, O oh Lord, that as we continue through this worship service, that it will be all about you. We thank you, Lord, that people want to be part of this, want to be part of this congregation, that you are always bringing people to your body to serve because it's about you. Use the words I need to share today, O oh Lord, and that these words... Be your words, a proclamation on behalf of the Lord himself. I ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> yeah, you know. So you sit at the light, one of those long ones. We have these long ones here in Orlando, isn't it? You know, you can get out, build a fire, make yourself a cup of tea, and it's still red. Nothing is going on. So now you wait, you, you, and there's a car in front of you, you wait, you wait for the thing to turn green, and then nothing happens. The person in front of you is on their cell phone doing all kinds of stuff. So what do you do? You give them a little honk, isn't it? You know, not out of anger, but out of urgency, you know? And I've done this a few times in my life, and my pickup has really loud sort of horn, so boop for this person just to get moving. And then as this person moves away, then there is not that really friendly gesture that sometimes comes out of the window. It's amazing that we do not want to be corrected, is it? <laughs> this guy was pulled over by a cop. The cop said, do you know how fast you were going? He said, oh, sorry, officer, I was just trying to catch up with the traffic. The cop said, but there are no cars. He said, you see how far behind I am? You, you see, we, we always try to find an excuse sort of for the way that we act and the way that we, that, we, um, that we talk. We live in this world of blaming others for who we are and what we do. We live in a world where it's not about things that I'm doing wrong. It's about the fact that there is unproductive habits in my life. In the world of psychology, that's now what they call it. Behavior, behavioral disorders. So, so people act up and they do the stupidest things and they, and they now have a medical term or a psychological term to define now their actions so I'm still in a way blameless. I need medicine for this or someone else that needs to take care of this issue then in my life. We have created a culture of no blame. And I really wanted to talk about some other stuff also, but because of time I'm not going to do this now. 
The problem is that this has found its way into the church, the modern church. You know how many times I've heard that you are not really recommended as a pastor to talk about sin anymore. 20 years ago already, I was told when I came to this church and I was still in South Africa that somebody said to me, you should not even talk about Satan anymore. I said, so what Bible are you reading? So I've read all these magazines and all these things, and I hear that a lot of the modern churches are now sort of ignoring the whole term of sin because they don't want people to feel bad. They don't want people to not be uplifted because a worship service is supposed to be uplifting, isn't it? You come to church to be okay, and you need to lift, leave this place with sort of a lift in your step. Who wants to hear that you are sinful? Actually a wretch. Actually a bad person. I once made the error. There was a baby sitting in its throat, and I looked down at the baby, and I said, you little evil one. And the mom was so shocked. How can you say this? I said, because we are all born with this little evil inside us. Oh, he's so cute. I said, you have no idea. Maybe a serial killer. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I didn't go that far. Do you know how many serial killers sat in little strollers and looked so cute? Yeah, it's all in us. You never need to teach a child to be naughty. That comes by itself, isn't it? So we've created a church that doesn't talk about sin anymore. And what it does is it takes away the cross. It makes the cross fade. You know, I realized that, uh, uh, recently when I read something that for a lot of people, the cross that is such a symbol of the Christian church now became like a logo. You know, you get logos on your, on your, on your um, shoes and on your shirts and whatever. That's sort of the company's logo. And it doesn't mean much to me. I just know there's a question thing or whatever for Nike and whatever. And for a lot of people, this has now happened. I'm part of a Christian church, so our logo is the cross. So I see the cross, and it's just part of the, who we are. But is it just a logo? You see, what has happened is that we have forgotten what the cross stands for. You see, we have forgotten that this cross is in this building because at some point the Son of God hung on a cross, and He was broken and bleeding and he was thirsty, and he, had, he felt this abandonment from his dad, and all of this because of you and me sitting in this church today. And I'm always sort of surprised when we have this, this Easter weekend, and normally in our church we have morning Thursday service, and then a Good Friday service, and then the Easter Sunday morning service. And normally the morning service, morning evening service is attended occasion. The Friday is a little bit better, but not that well, but man come Easter. The whole world comes to church. Why do people want to come to church on Easter? Because you want to hear a great message about resurrection and life and, and good stuff and positive things. And it's, a, it's, it's music that's fantastic and it grips your heart because it's uplifting. Friday evening when we think in darkness about the death of Jesus, people do not want to come. Because you are exposed to your own sin if you would recognize the cross. I'm busy with a series of mine closer to God and Two more sermons, then I'm done with this. Next week is about worship, and then the one thereafter is about celebration on our rally day. And then I'm going to start with a series on Jonah, that guy in the well. Never preached a series on that, but that's going to be interesting. But now I'm talking about closer to God, because all of us need to find our way back to God. All of us sort of drift away from God. Some of us are not even close to God. How do I get close to God? How do I reconnect with the one that created heaven and earth and me? 
And I looked at all of these things. It's based on that book, Celebration of Discipline. Very loosely, I use this as themes. The inward disciplines, things that I can do is I can be with God. I can just sort of sit and meditate. I can speak with God. I can pray. Uh, time for God is to fast. Fast was a symbol I used to have time for God, to step away from all the stuff that takes my time so and, and keeps me so busy. I can learn from God. Then the outward disciplines are to focus on His kingdom, on submission, obedience, or then on service. I spoke about that last Sunday, today. The corporate disciplines as a family. What can we do to get closer to God? And guess what's the first one? Confession. John chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar. His word is not in us. My little children, that's what John says. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sinners of the whole world. So let's quickly look at this, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this. It's already late. So what does confession actually then mean? Confession means firstly to examine my life before God. Do you know that God has expectations of you and of me? You see, God is not disconnected with us. God got involved in our lives, and He said, I, I, I got involved in your life because I want to help you and guide you and provide for you. But part of it is for you to recognize who I am. So God has the right to have an expectation of me and of you. When a couple gets married, a mother and a, 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 a husband and a wife gets married, they always have expectations of one another. Louise had some expectations of me, and I've got expectations of her to mow the lawn, for an example. I'm just kidding. I, 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 I mow the lawn. But we always have these expectations of one another, and, and I've got the right to have expectations of someone that I'm in a relationship with, to treat me with respect, to be kind to me, whatever. God, exactly the same. God created us to be in a relationship with, 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 with Him, and He comes to us and He says, Hey, Ferdy, I expect of you, because I'm your God and your Father, to treat me with utmost respect. That I even asked of my children, because we treat them with respect. God says, I may ask of you that if you can't, I. I ask of you to recognize that I am your God and without me you are nothing. I ask of you to realize that I ask of you to live a life that's different from the world because that's the only way I can protect you. Confession means that I need to realize that God has expectations of me and I need to find out what those are. And where will I discover it in the Bible? If you read Romans, if you read Corinthians, if you read Ephesians or Philippians or Timothy, all of these books that Paul wrote, Paul time and time again have these lists and he says, please guys, don't do this. God does not want us to live in such a way like we are lying and we are stealing and we are gossiping and we are doing all kinds of stupid things that destroys our relationship with other people and with God. 
Sometimes it's really good to open your Bible and read through one of those lists that Paul has and say, where do I fit in this whole lot? I'm not as cool as I think I am before God. The second thing is that I need to accept it's me. It's not someone else. I can't constantly blame my parents or my wife or my children or my neighbors or whatever for who I am. I am who I am because I'm a broken person. And all of us are broken. And I've said this from this pulpit before, pastors are not superheroes. We are normal people like you that are broken in many different ways. And together we struggle to find our way to God, to be closer to God, because we are not perfect. None of us are. But it's me, it's not someone else. It's me that's broken, and that's all that God says is, hey, Ferdy, recognize you need me. And that's why the third one is, I need his solution to my problem. You know, I've got a master's in psychology, so I believe in the work of psychology. I do a lot of work in my office that is mostly, I think, psychology work a little bit. But that's sort of the layer of the real work that I need to do and do. That's to bring people to Jesus. You see, in psychology, I can easily say, this is your behavioral problem that you're having. This is sort of the, the, the forces that play into you, whatever. But that's a therapeutic answer that does not always bring the forgiveness that people need. I have seen people in my life come to Jesus by just saying, Lord, I am so sorry, I'm such a bad guy, and got the relief that they were looking for because the answer for this life and the crisis we live in is the answer that God gives us. And it's the cross. The cross. God could have from heaven declared sin forgiven. He could have just said, Okay, you are my children, you are all rich, and you are sinful people. Now it's over. If you just say, I'm sorry, it's all cool. God said, that's not how I'm going to work. I will send my son to this world to suffer. My son will be crucified. He will die a horrible death that the people will understand what the seriousness of sin is, because that's me that's supposed to be on that cross. Do you know why they put people on, cross, on a cross? It's a symbol. There's no place for you on the earth, and there's no place for you in heaven. You are stuck in between. You are not accepted here. You're not accepted there. That's why they chose a cross. Jesus, between heaven and earth, not accepted here, not accepted there for a moment. Because that's supposed to be my spot. That's God's answer. And then the presence of sorrow. <laughs> at some point, it's maybe good to say, Lord, I'm really sorry. And since that I have done wrong, I've broke his heart. You know, because I can't see God, and I can't touch him, I sometimes do not relate to him like a human or like, like he's real. But a few times in my life, I've looked at my wife, and I knew that I disappointed her, and I felt sorry. I would say, Lisa, I'm really sorry that I did this stupid thing and didn't meet your expectation or whatever. That did not communicate this well. I'm really sorry. And normally when you say you are sorry, you're going to try way harder and better not to do that stupid thing again. That's maybe what the Lord asks of us, to sometimes just think about my life and say to the Lord, Lord, I'm really sorry I'm such an idiot. I'm sorry that I do all these stupid things. I don't respect you enough. I don't think about you enough. I don't pray enough. That's just about you. And then I, always, I do not always treat people that well as I should because they irritate me. I don't want to be around them and I ignore them. And I'm not doing what you call of me to do, and that's to love them in the way that you love me. Love me. Then the plea for forgiveness, to ask the Lord, forgive me, please. And the word corporate is there because it's a corporate discipline. That's why in church we many times have this confession together. 
Because in a way we are saying to each other, hey, I'm a sinner like you are. Hey, you're also a sinner. And we are together sinners that come seek to forgive, the forgiveness. And sometimes it's good if you have someone in your life that you can really tell your story to. That can keep you accountable somewhat. I've had a number of people stumble in my office and say, this is the story that nobody can know. And I said, nobody will know. Help me. You're now my accountable partner. I would call this person once a week and say, are you still straight with this thing is concerned? Yeah, I'm still doing this. Good. Constantly to make sure that this person does not fall back in the way they want to get out. Then to receive his pardon. That's what the Lord wants to do. Is God angry with us? No. God just wants to restore a relationship. He just wants us to be where we're supposed to be. His people and He's God. Not where He's down there and I'm here, but God is there and I'm here. I'm not God, God is. And that's what He wants. So the pardon is not out of anger, it's out of love for us. He's seeking us to be close to Him. And then finally to live a life to make my Father proud. Augustine of, Augustine of Hippo said the confession of evil work is the beginning Confession of evil works is the beginning of good works. I'm almost done. A reformed worship service. We do this almost every Sunday. Modern churches, they play 10 songs, the guy preaches and, and they leave. Maybe another song. They've removed the reading of the law, they've removed confession. They remove confession, the cross starts to fade. The cross of Jesus starts to fade because it's not about a party, it's about me that is broken, that needs God on a weekly basis. That's why we do what we do. That's why I'm wearing my robe today, not only because I'm baptized today, because I'm a Calvinist in art. Part of the Reformed tradition that we need to have, we need to have our communion table, we need to have our baptismal font, we need to have our cross because all of these things proclaim who God is. It's not about me. It's about God. For there is no distinction since all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by His blood, effective through faith. Book of Romans, the whole chapter 3, Paul says, look at me. In Ephesians, Paul says, look at me. In Corinthians, Paul says, look, I'm a sinner. I, 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 I do all of you with my sin, but I need Jesus. And then he comes to says, but through faith in Christ, we do get this forgiveness. Join me. Join me. I'm going to read, and there's a response for you. Let us confess before God and one another that we do not always live according to God's law. Think about that for a moment. What is God's law? To love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and all your strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. And then the Ten Commandments. Go read them again, Exodus chapter 20. Please join me. Read. Merciful God, willful children, who have turned away from you. We have closed our hearts to you and disobeyed your law. We do not love you with our whole heart. Now think for a moment what you just said. I did not love you this last week in the way that I should. I am sorry. Let's continue. 
That's all our dad asks. That's all he asks. That's all that God asks. For me to come to him and say, I'm sorry, I, 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 I normally mess up every day. And then he says to me, you are back. This is, now I'm going to read this, it's a bit small. Then the son said to the father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is not a prodigal son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a rope, the best one. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. That's your dad. Amen.